Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday, February the 10th. And thank you so much for tuning in here today. If you have something that you want to hear more about or have some burning questions you want answered or you just want to say hi, don't hesitate to contact me by email at jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y underscore A-N-D-R-E-A-S. I got a good show lined up here to start the week. Coming up in just a few minutes, I'll be speaking with my usual Monday morning guest, Kyla we will be discussing a number of topics, including sexual assault training for judges. The Liberals introduced Bill C-5 last week that it passed would ensure that all newly appointed provincial superior court judges undergo training to learn about the myths and stereotypes still associated with sexual assault cases. It also would require the Canadian Judicial Council to report on ongoing efforts to provide similar training to sitting judges and would amend the criminal code to ensure judges are putting their reasons on the record when they rule on sexual assault cases. So Kyla and I will be discussing whether that will make a difference and what the potential impact could be if passed. A similar bill passed in the House of Commons in 2017, but then failed to pass through the Senate. Also on the agenda today is that the Law Society of British Columbia will no longer be asking applicants about their medical fitness as it relates to past substance use and existing medical conditions. It was recommended the removal of the medical fitness questions in the Law Society admission program application. And the question asks candidates if they've ever had a substance use disorder, received counseling for a substance use disorder, and if so, are asked to provide a general description of that uh, of, of what happened. So the application is also asking if candidates have any existing conditions that is reasonably likely to impair their ability to function as an uh, articled student. So some issues with some of that stuff. Of course, these tests, although we're not necessarily a hindrance in getting hired directly, uh, prospective employers could have access to these files and it could have an impact on whether they want to bring someone on board. And I think the important thing to remember in this case is that we should not necessarily be judged on our past to decide how we will act in the present or future. And to a certain extent, um, you know, someone's past demons can be in the past. I understand that there are cases where, you know, you might want to ask a question about a tweet someone sent out a dozen years ago, uh, and that's fair game, but I don't think that means that you should be hold, held to that opinion um, that you had many, many moons ago, um, and you are allowed to change your mind and, 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 and alter your opinions um, as time moves on. So I think that's an important conversation to discuss. I'm sure Kyla and I will also discuss last week's announcements surrounding ICBC, so that will all be coming up in just a little bit. Lots to discuss in that regard, so that will be coming up shortly. To end off today's show, I'll be joined by Kim Luce Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane after a rough weekend for the Blazers. They dropped a pair in Victoria on Friday and Saturday before falling to the Vancouver Giants yesterday afternoon. Here is Keener wrapping up the weekend. Three seconds to go. We got Franklin here involved at the end of the game with Gendron and the linesman will get between those two. And the Blazers just can't seem to get one of these key divisional games to right now after dominating the BC Division for much of the season. Where does the team go and look forward to right now, Dan? The Blazers lost to the Royals 3-2 on Friday, 5-4 on Saturday night, and then dropped a 7-3 decision to the Giants yesterday. That game uh, yesterday was much, 
much closer than the score does suggest. Um, you know, a few last-minute goals definitely uh, made the thing look a little bit more lopsided than it actually was. The standings, though, now do look a little bit closer. As a result, the Blazers remain first in the BC Division and set seven points ahead of second place Victoria, and also they still set 13 points ahead of third place Vancouver. Uh, here is head coach Sean Clouston uh, looking back on the weekend that was. Uh, he appeared on uh, NL uh, our morning show here this here today. The games in three nights with some travel, it's, 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 it is pretty challenging. It's it's, it's taxing, so, so that's the first part. We'll have, have some conversations to let the players know what we believe is really important, a couple of good practices, and, and, then, uh, and then go after it. I think for the first time, it was the... Uh, So three games in three nights, obviously, was a bit of a tough stretch there for the Blazers. They'll look to get back on track against the Red Deer Rebels here on Friday night at home before playing another couple of games against the division rival Royals. So they will hope to use Friday sort of to get back in the win column. And then Saturday and uh, Family Day Monday, they can have a chance to once again solidify that number one spot in the division. But, of course, that being said, that could easily swing the other way as well if the Royals could get another couple of regulation wins while this division will uh, be much tighter than it needs to be heading out of the weekend. But we'll deal with that uh, as the weekend gets a little bit closer. So John and I will be talking at around the 50-minute mark of the show. So stay tuned if you want some more Blazers content because that will be coming up then. Uh, got more Jeff Andrea show coming up after the break. I'll be joined by Kyla Lee after these commercials. So please stick around. Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Monday. I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. Uh, last week, this segment turned into me talking for a long time because we had no phones, unfortunately, but uh, that hopefully seems to have been rectified, and I am now joined by my usual Monday guest here, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for coming on here. Thank you for having me. All right, so uh, hopefully the phones, uh, you know, have no issues and we can get through this whole segment. I have my fingers crossed, so we'll see. Mine too. <laughs> All right, so let's start with uh, Bill C-5 here and sort of what this means for, for judges. So I explained it a little bit here before the break, but, uh, you know, former interim conservative leader Rona Ambrose uh, says that she expects all-party support to finally pass legislation that would require judges to undergo sensitivity training before they can preside over sexual assault cases. So uh, just what is your initial thoughts here on this move? I can only imagine that equipping judges with more tools to make informed decisions should be seen as a good thing. On its face, absolutely. I think if, you, if you're equipping judges with the tools to make informed decisions, bearing in mind where the burden and standard of proof are in a criminal trial, then that's a great thing. But this isn't training that would require judges to understand the law and the prohibition on certain myths about sexual assault being argued in court and how not to apply those myths in a criminal trial. This is training that is being done um, by victims' advocacy groups and survivors of sexual assault without any input whatsoever from any defense perspectives or without any training required of judges um, in dealing with these cases while remembering that there is a burden of proof on the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt that's on the prosecution in every single sexual assault case. 
Okay, so with that in mind, I guess, how, how would you like to see uh, this training uh, approached? I mean, you, you think there should be some more involvement from, uh, from lawyers in, the, in this training process? I think that there should be uh, perspectives presented from uh, from both sides. So it's important, of course, for judges to hear the perspectives of, of survivors and, and victims advocacy groups and to understand why we have sexual assault myths in our society and why those myths are wrong. But it's also important that that doesn't turn into a process of indoctrination where judges start to approach sexual assault cases from the perspective of a presumption of guilt, which is, you know, in a criminal context, what the, I believe, survivors movement tends to leave us in a position of um, and that uh, you know it's, it's a difficult line to walk because in society we need to believe and appreciate what survivors of sexual assault are saying but at the on the other hand we have to make sure that that doesn't trickle into our criminal justice system which requires a conviction only when that high standard of beyond a reasonable doubt has been met uh, one thing that does come along with this bill is um, also looking at uh, judges having to um, put their decisions basically uh, or their reasons on the record when they rule on sexual assault cases. I mean, that's got to at least be viewed as a real positive here moving forward that, uh, you know, there would be uh, more of a historical record of how these cases are being handled. Well, it's actually, it sounds like a positive, but that's already the law. Right. You just have right. to provide reasons for why they are acquitting or convicting a person. They can't just say, you know, I, I, I believe that this event occurred, therefore I find you guilty. They have to give a reasoned analysis engaging with the evidence that explains the pathway to their conclusion. So all this is doing is codifying an obligation that already exists on judges. And this, um, I mean, a similar bill was passed in the House in 2017, from what I understand, and then and then failed to make it through the Senate. I guess, you know, do you think that um, it was sort of maybe a number of these types of concerns that you're bringing forward as to why this didn't go through uh, three years ago and, and potentially could have the same issues this time around? It was exactly these types of concerns that had the Senate essentially let the bill die on, on the Senate floor. It was concerns that there wasn't enough being done to preserve the presumption of innocence in a criminal trial, which is the golden thread of our, of our justice system. So with that being said, I mean, uh, it sounds to me like you do feel like there is some need to maybe revamp the way, um, you know, judges are, are looking at these cases or at least being taught to, to go about looking at these cases, but just maybe it's not being approached in the right way at this time. Exactly. Training is, uh, is appropriate and important for judges. Judges already receive training on numerous issues, but the way that it's being done and, and being proposed under this bill, I think, falls far short of what we expect in the type of objective training that judges should be receiving and, and tends to make it more subjective. Okay. Um, any, anything else you want to add on that topic before we move on here, Kyla? I think that sums up most of my thoughts. All right, perfect. Um, one, one other thing that I did want to talk about here today was uh, the Law Society of British Columbia uh, was no longer going to be asking applicants about their medical fitness as it relates to past substance use and existing medical conditions. So it was recommended the removal of the medical fitness questions in the Law Society admission program application. Uh, I guess just, again, what are your initial thoughts here uh, with this being removed? I mean, it sounds like something that, um, you know, should help people who maybe have a bit of a, a checkered past but don't want that past to define their future. Oh, absolutely. And this is, you know, something that has been a long time needed from the law society. We have a much better understanding of mental health as a society than the law society generally has had um, over the last 50 years. And asking questions of people about whether they have mental health conditions and prying into those, you know, very personal spaces in people's lives when there is no evidence that those will impact somebody's ability to practice law is absolutely inappropriate. And we have a process 
already designed to identify people who aren't capable of being lawyers. That's why we have articling. Um, you know, people who want to be lawyers have to work under the direct supervision of another lawyer um, for a minimum of a year before they can be called and admitted to the bar. And that, that lawyer has to sign off on their fitness to practice law, which includes looking at, at, at issues like their mental health. And if they identify concerns during the articling process, that lawyer has a legal obligation to bring those to the law society and to not recommend that, that person become a lawyer. So if somebody has a mental health condition that's going to prevent them from adequately practicing law, that's going to be identified in that one year one year period. Asking somebody about their history and something that they've gone through that they may have overcome completely only exposes them to having to provide information that is totally invasive and personal and, uh, and isn't necessary for the purpose that is being asked. And I, I'm going to assume that this probably has had a, an impact on a number of individuals throughout the past when it comes to looking for employment um, and these sort of questions being available to an employer to review and look at uh, probably did prevent a lot of people from potentially getting uh, opportunities and, and this um, you know, will hopefully change that or at least uh, change some of those, uh, those considerations that people have when viewing applications. It hopefully will. I mean, we've seen stories. There's a, an individual right now who's got a case before the BC Human Rights Tribunal because the Law Society has essentially been denying him his application for enrollment because of his struggles with alcoholism. We know that there are substance abuse issues in the profession. Many lawyers struggle with alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling addictions, all sorts of problems. Um, and they're still capable of practicing law. They haven't been disbarred simply because they have those problems. And yet this individual is being prevented because he disclosed to the law society that he has this issue. And I think that that's unfair. I've seen it in, in, in my own practice. I've seen people that are wanting to become lawyers having their applications delayed because they have to go chase down letters from their psychiatrists, from their, uh, from their doctors, explaining the medications they take and the steps that they're taking to deal with their mental health. When having you know known these people for a long period of time, I, I can clearly indicate that they don't have any mental health issues that would affect their ability to deal with client issues. Um, just speaking from that personal experience then and, and those that you have uh, you know spoken to or who are dealing with these kinds of issues and problems, um, you know, ha has having to deal with this process and having to go and track down those letters from psychiatrists and things along those lines, I mean, that, that can't have a positive impact on your mental health where you're trying to move forward and trying to get employment and trying to get a job and trying to better your life and, and really this, um, this issue that you're trying to probably get over is now a hindrance and, and I'm sure, you know, being told to go back and collect all this information to uh, prove that you are worthy of, of, you know, having a job or whatever the case may be, um, that, can't, that can't be a good thing for your mental health. It can't be. And, you know, I've watched people struggle with this, this hanging question of whether they're after this huge financial investment, an emotional investment of going through law school and graduating law school, whether they'll actually be able to become lawyers and participate in the articling process. That's, that takes more of a toll on your mental health, having to disclose to an employer a very personal issue. And, you know, remember, too, that people struggle with mental health issues, sometimes as a result of horrible, tragic things that have happened to them, including, including very personal things like sexual assault and having to explain that to an employer and to go through that with your employer and have them sign off on on being willing to take that you know perceived risk as an employer when when hiring you no other profession no other job requires you to disclose to your to your prospective employer that you have a mental health condition it's, it's absolutely inappropriate and it was long since past the time that the law society needed to remove that question
Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like the, the right move here uh, in 2020. Uh, we have a couple minutes left here, Kyla, so I did want to touch a little bit on uh, ICBC, uh, the announcement that was made last week as they make this move to sort of no-fault insurance, although they're still a little bit reluctant to call it that for whatever reason, but that's essentially what was being proposed here uh, by the NDP government. Uh, I spoke with your colleague Paul Doroshenko on this on Friday as well, and just sort of the concerns that come with, with no-fault insurance and just, uh, you know, if anything significant were to happen to individuals, um, it sort of limits you in, in how you can go about uh, collecting some compensation. So I just wanted to get, uh, you know, your opinion on uh, the changes that were announced by ICBC or the proposed changes that were announced uh, by the NDP for ICBC last week, um, and just, uh, you know, how, how you feel about those changes here, um, here as we as we look to see if they do in, in fact pass. You know, I do have concerns about them. Uh, one, I think that this has been sold to the public as, as the solution to the problem of, of greedy lawyers taking people's money, um, when that's not the case. Legal fees for accident claims are capped by law society rules. Lawyers are only allowed to take up to a certain percentage of the ultimate settlement. Um, the criticism that's been led publicly about disbursements you and I have talked about before, um, those don't come out of uh, the uh, the person's pocket um, in the amount that they're getting settled. They're on top of the settlement amounts. And I don't see the, these changes as being necessary. I think that what happened here was David Eby tried one thing. He tried capping expert that was unsuccessful. And so he went to the most extreme option um, down the spectrum of other options available to deal with these issues, um, to to try and, in, in my view, to some extent, punish uh, the lawyers who've been speaking out about these changes and speaking up for the rights of their clients. Um, and I think this is ultimately going to have a negative impact on how these cases are dealt with in our justice system, because we're going to see less litigation of, uh, of these types of claims. Um, um, and it gives all of the power to ICBC to determine really how much care a person is going to get for an injury without any ability to have a lawyer represent them in that process. Right on, Kyla. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you so much for speaking to me, and uh, I'm glad everything uh, was able to work in terms of our phone system here. We didn't drop you, so that was good, and, and we'll hopefully have uh, just as smooth a, a chat here next week. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, on. That was Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee, talking about ICBC, uh, some changes that are being made uh, when it comes to potentially judges and, and sexual assault training, and uh, also looking at uh, the BC Law Society and some uh, alterations to their admission program application, um, removing the questions surrounding substance use and existing medical conditions. Uh, coming up after the break, I'm going to have more Andrea's show, so please stick around. <laughs> Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Monday. The Thompson Nicola Regional District Film Commission seems to be having a busy 2020, and we're only in mid-February here. First, we saw the CBS series Twilight Zone being filmed in Ashcroft, and now we're hearing that uh, Jurassic World 3 is being filmed in Merritt at the end of the month, and there are at least a couple of more projects on the way towards the district as well. Here now to talk a little bit about this season so far is the TNRD Film Commissioner, Vicki Weller. Vicki, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you for asking me. So let me just start by kind of asking in a general sense, I mean, what, what has led to so much activity happening uh, when it comes to filming in the interior so far this year? Well, it always comes down to it's on the script. Uh, it's in the script, and uh, we've been very lucky that there's been some big projects that our locations have been very uh, attractive, has attracted so much attention, so we're really lucky that way. 
Yeah, so I mean, I guess is it just a matter of the landscape that uh, people are looking to the interior right now? Is that sort of seems to be one of the, the driving factors here with uh, the reasons why these big projects seem to be making their way here? Well, um, well, first of all, we have great tax credits. So that's always helpful in attracting production to BC. British Columbia is at an all-time high. And uh, so British Columbia is attracting more attention as a as the whole province. Um, we're also seeing an increase in um, you know hallmark pictures as well. So we're very very active, and uh, we've just been lucky enough that there's been some scripts that demand um, you know some of the looks that we have. We find that we're not getting the whole projects. We're getting significant pieces, so we're we're very very lucky, and uh, we have a variety. We have so many different looks, so close to Kamloops and and throughout the in our whole region that it's very attractive to filmmakers. Yeah, I mean it's just really exciting. I think that some of these huge projects, like I was mentioning, I don't know what you can confirm or, or deny here when we're talking about some of the actual specifics of the projects. Like I had said earlier, I think uh, Jurassic World Three was the rumor project to be coming to Merit. I mean that's a, a pretty significant movie that people uh, would probably flock to, right, when the theaters open. And the fact that it is coming to a small community like Merit, I just think is a is is really really cool. Um, I mean, what what can you tell us about specifics of some of these projects? I know you have some agreements in place where you can't give away too too much, but what what, what can you tell me about what is coming up here in the TNRD, um, you know, in terms of projects? Well, we have um, Radio Nilware, which is based on the stand. It's coming into our area, and uh, cast and crew will be staying around Kamloops, um, but um, they're coming in. We also have a Western called Deed, and uh, hopefully that'll come in towards March. April. We're also looking at Van Helsing a TV series returning again. They really love the locations here. Uh, Resident Alien is a TV series that's going to be popping in and out. And um, you know, and then we can look on the screen uh, to you know Project Blue Book filmed here last year. So for the next season opener, uh, we'll be predominantly in the in the first two episodes. And if you follow Van Helsing, you'll see um, the last season, uh, you'll see our area as well. So we're garnering quite a bit of attention. We still attract um, commercials. I was just watching, uh, in fact, I was in the Vancouver airport and I saw an Audi commercial. And there was an Audi across, you know, uh, sort of one of our sort of flatter plains, desert-like plains. So we do uh, seem to keep attracting productions, which is great. Um, It's up and down. You never know in any given year what's going to happen, but this year we're having a good year. Yeah, I was going to ask kind of how this compares to, to other years. I mean, you say it's a, a good year. Um, I guess just what what typically would you expect to see in terms of projects? I mean, you mentioned uh, four or five there just off the top. And, um, you know, just when this, the, the quality of those projects just seems really significant. I mean, uh, is this is this a little bit better than typical, I guess, at this point in time? It seems to be more, but you also have to, um, you know, it's a... We're all going through an incredible change. We have streamers like Apple and Netflix and Amazon Prime and even, uh, you know, National Geographic's getting into scripted material. So we're seeing this 
um, increase in demand for content, and they also have a little bit more money than, say, in previous years where the networks were just, you know, they didn't have much money to go anywhere, and these ones do. So they're more mobile, and that's really in our benefit for sure. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, as the years go by, there's no shortage of places to get content, and uh, there just seems to be more and more and more of it being available with all the different streaming platforms. And, uh, you know, of course, there is still the uh, standard movie theater things that are coming out and, and basic cable as well. So there's so many places to go about getting your, your content to watch uh, TV and movies, and I guess that's just uh, one thing that we can look to here as a, a reason for more products coming here is that there's just so much more available, and, um, you know, the BC market it just seems to be a real attractive one for for places to film um and yeah you had mentioned uh, you know tax uh, benefits that come with filming here and the, the landscape obviously being what it is is obviously uh, very attractive to a lot of people when it comes to making films so it just seems like a really exciting time to be uh, you know involved in the filmmaking industry particularly if you do live here in bc and here in the interior so um thank you so much for doing this vicky anything else that you want people to know about before i let you go here well um the project Red Snow hopefully will be coming to our film festival. And Beyond the Woods is uh, that filmed in the Westwold area, um, just outside of Kamloops. It's going, definitely going to be in our Kamloops Film Festival. So that's very exciting, too. Um, so we're actually seeing projects that filmed here coming here, and we get to watch them on the screen. And our, you know, Kamloops Film Festival does an excellent job in helping support um, that endeavor of having our film shown. So that's fun. And we're also seeing an increase in production companies in Kamloops establishing themselves. And that's always exciting as well. Right on. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Vicky. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, just a, a lot of cool projects that are underway here in the region when it comes to film uh, in 2020. So thanks so much for coming on and talking about it. I'll be keeping my eye to see what's, uh, what's coming up next on the schedule. And um, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Oh, I, I really appreciate it, too. Thank you very much. All right on. That was the commissioner of the TNRD Film Commission, Vicki Weller, talking about a number of projects that are ongoing here in 2020 in the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. Lots of exciting stuff happening here. Um, like I had mentioned, the CBS show uh, Twilight Zone was up in Ashcroft there not too long ago. I believe they have finished filming there as of now. Um, we also have the rumors here about Jurassic World 3 coming up in Merritt, and that's going to be filmed between uh, February 25th and March 6th. And... Uh, According to a casting call, they're looking for people to play dinosaur food. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's actually what's on the uh, ad itself, but they are looking for people to come be extras. Um, anyone age 25 to 65 can apply, so you can just uh, give a quick Google search to find out how to become an extra in Jurassic World 3. Uh, that would definitely be a cool thing to be a part of, and that's going to be coming up, like I said, in Merit here towards the end of the month. Now, I did speak a little bit here last week with uh, the BC Business Council, and one of the things they did mention was just how strong the uh, film um, industry is in BC right now. I, I spoke last week with uh, Vice President um, Ken Peacock talking about uh, just the economic growth that we're expecting in BC in 2020, um, and, and one of the positives was the film industry. So here's a brief clip from Ken Peacock talking about why the moving picture industry is doing so well here in British Columbia right now. There's a few things going on. For a long time, BC has been a good place to film. We've got excellent workforce. We're, they've got good facilities for film studios and whatnot. Uh, the time zone, being in the same time zone as, as Hollywood, is 
apparently a very, very important factor. It just makes it easier to do business. The dollar, of course, is a big factor. Uh, the Canadian dollar being around 75, 76 cents means productions, U.S. productions filmed up here at 25% discount. There's also a film and tax credit that companies who, uh, they get a tax credit on their labor input into film production. So that's an attractive incentive for, for people doing productions here. But the thing, if you talk to people in the industry that's really changed, is the streaming services, the Netflix and other streaming services filming their series. Um, there's just so much more content being produced now that the uh, amount of activity in the space in generally is really ramping up, and BC's benefiting from that. Yeah, so that was the vice president of the BC Business Council, Ken Peacock, and he relayed a lot of the same things that Vicky was saying earlier, just in terms of why British Columbia seems to be such an attractive place to do filming and to make movies, to create TV shows right now. Um, and, and, you know, I'll continue to say it, we're having the strong 2020 here in the TNRD when it comes to projects that are underway, and that's going to be the case here throughout the rest of the year, it looks like as well. Uh, already two major projects here underway in uh, 2020, and a lot more coming up as well. Uh, coming up next, it's time to talk a little bit about the Blazers. They had a rough weekend here this past weekend going 0-3. I'll be joined by the man himself, Blazers play-by-play play play announcer John Keane after this, so please stick around. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back in here on Monday, February 10th. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you all had a great weekend because I can tell you that it wasn't an ideal one for the Kamloops Blazers. I'm joined on the line now by Blazers play-by-play man John Keane. John, how you doing? Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hope uh, hope everything's well back at NL. It was a, it was a busy weekend uh, for everybody, for sure. Yeah, three games in, in three nights, so a lot to unpack here over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, let's start by looking at uh, what happened in uh, Victoria on Friday and Saturday nights. I mean, a couple of real close games, um, just unable to really get that tying goal late. I mean, I, I believe both games were tied um, after two in both situations, but the Blazers unable to uh, get a, a lead at all in the third period. Um, I guess just, just talk about that series. I mean, that's something that's going to be heating up here down the road. they got a couple of games here next week as well. Um, so just, uh, I mean, excited to see. I'm, I mean, I know you're a Blazers guy, so you don't want to see the standings get close. But at the same point, it does make, bring a lot more meaning to these uh, matchups between these two teams moving forward. Yeah, you know, the, these matchups are, are always tight. And the Blazers, for some reason, have, have had a hard time on the island here lately. Uh, you know, I was presented with a, a stat. Um, from the Victoria side, from their media, just just where 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 the season series has been at, and not so much season series, but a career on the island in the regular season. And from the Victoria standpoint, they're twenty six seven and two against the Blazers in their home building since uh, relocating there. Now uh, the Blazer aspect, they've won nine of those games, right, because of the overtime losses. But uh, it's just been a hard slug. And again, you mentioned that they were tied in both games in the third period. Blazers tied it up midway through the third on Friday uh, to get it to 2-2, but just goal, uh, that goal ahead goal, that kind of put them in the driver's seat. They kind of chased him in the third period, and the third periods uh, were 
or their downfall, uh, you know, this weekend here for sure. Yeah, and and then uh, just to tie into uh, what happened in Vancouver there last night, uh, I know it was a seven to three final, but I mean the game was really a lot closer than that from what I saw. Um, so just can you tell me a little bit about uh, what happened there in Vancouver? I mean, did you see a, a team that maybe was just a little bit gassed playing their third game in three nights? Well, I don't know. I, I thought they had good energy. Uh, again, a tie game in the third period, and and, and I was on the air last night, just pr- pretty frustrated by you know some of the the penalty calls. Not so much the calls, but just the the timing of the calls here. The Blazers were you know busting their butts to to get back into a game, into a tie game, and uh, they were put down a man uh, midway through, and 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 Vancouver scored on the power play. Uh, Hughes ties it up, and then with seven minutes to go, it's it's an offensive zone uh, interference call. You know, 200 feet away from the goal here, just just a call. I don't think you you you, you usually seen uh, you usually see uh, called in that scenario, and that's yeah, frustrating because the Giants' power play right now is is really rolling, and the Blazer penalty kill uh, is a bit fragile, and you know, the Blazers never really got that advantage to to go up, and uh, it's just two two veteran officials. I, I just didn't think they needed to call it right there. Um, they also had a five on three for a full two minutes uh, in the second period, and with, with Bowen Byram out there, I mean, that's just not something that you're, you can kill off for two minutes. So I, I, they were put behind the eight ball, but again, um, you know, they they, uh, they fought hard, but just can't seem to find that uh, that goal to put them over the hump and, you know, make matters worse. These are all divisional losses, so uh, they count even more uh, in the standings there. Yeah, yeah the old four-point game, if you will, right? Um, uh, the story last weekend was sort of about, uh, you know, uh, Dylan Garan going down and, um, you know, being uh, forced out of the game early. I believe it was on Saturday, and then Race Ramsey having to come in. And, uh, you know, he, he, I thought, played a, a pretty good weekend. I just want to get your assessment of Ramsey's game here over the last three days. I mean, playing three games in three nights is not something he's been tasked with all season long. So, um, you know, definitely a, a bit of a difficult situation to come into, something you haven't done uh, really in his, his uh, Blazers career. But I thought he came in and played pretty well. What, what, what's your thoughts on how Ramsey played? Yeah, so so the thing with race, uh, there, there was nothing that was soft this weekend, right? So he, here's a guy that hasn't played a lot, and sometimes you worry about timing or something. There wasn't a soft goal, and that's all you can ask for your goaltender here. Uh, did they get a, a timely save? Um, you know, probably, probably not in this scenario here. Um, but, but that's that. That is a lot to ask. You know, I think that the bar is set so high with Dylan Duran that, you know, uh, he he is able to, you know, take goals off the board and and, and really, you know, nullify. They always talk about how, you know, the uh, the goalie is the best penalty killer, right? And and that's probably why you know the penalty kill is is around just 50% since uh, since Dylan Duran uh, went down. So that that's that's uh, concerning for sure. And uh, you know, I think he, uh, he made some. His team made a lot of errors in front of him this weekend, and he bailed them out uh, with some key stops, um, you know, in the game. But but at timely saves with with the game tied in the third or in the third period, they they did they didn't get one of those, and um, you know that is a lot to ask. Uh, but it's something I think this team has grown accustomed to. Yeah, the one real knock, I guess, I would have from what I saw from Race over the weekend was that uh, game winner on, I believe it was Friday night, uh, that was scored from basically the corner. And, he, I mean, it was a heck of a shot to pick the only real spot he could put it. But I, I felt that was uh, probably a shot that uh, he probably should have had, just given the fact that it was you know pretty much right from the corner of the ice. Yeah, I, I don't think he, he really located it well because, you know, he just made a couple of saves. The puck kind of went in the corner. And, and Brandon Cutler is a 
saucering, rolling puck, and um, you know he he's hot right now. He had that, that was his, you know, he had goals, multi-goal games in three straight. He scored in four straight games. And when a player's like that, you know, everything they shoot seemingly going in. Uh, I, I didn't have a real problem with it. I just thought it was kind of a, you know, a fluky shot from mm-hmm. a good spot. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's tough. You know, it's it's when things when it when it rains it pours, and when you're rolling, you know, like like some teams can, um, you know, shot those shots go in for sure. Now uh, let's look a little bit ahead here to uh, the upcoming schedule. We got three games coming up here this weekend. We got uh, Red Deer coming into town on Friday night, and then Victoria on uh, Saturday, and then the Family Day Monday game as well. So let's start by looking at uh, Red Deer. I mean, this is a team that uh, you know coming from the East Division, not overly familiar opponent. Um, I mean, is this um, you look at almost as a good chance to kind of uh, get back on track by playing a team that you're not so familiar with and don't necessarily have the same history with? Uh, you know, almost uh, might make mentally a little bit easier to prepare for in that kind of sense? Yeah, 100%. You know, all these games uh, lately here, you know, the five straight against the division have been like playoff games. And, and uh, every team, you know, Victoria, Vancouver, uh, they, they gear up for the Blazers. I mean, when you, when you, it's, have you had that wears the crown? And when, and when they're on top of the division, uh, teams gear up for it. They want to use it as a measuring stick. You know, uh, some of the Vancouver media, um, you know, inexperienced media in some cases are, are calling last night's game a statement game. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to call it a statement game when you're playing a team three games and three games over starting goaltender and, you know, you're tied in the third period. So uh, teams gear up for you. And I think, yeah, Red Deer, there's no real history here, although Brent Sutter teams uh, doesn't take much to get um, kind of some hatred brewing for sure on the ice. But that's a great chance. You know, this team will be awful. Uh, for Red Deer, that'll be their third game of their trip and third game in four nights. Uh, we know they work extremely hard. They do have a goaltender in two games and Ethan Anders if he does start. So, yeah, that, that game, I'll say, boy, a pretty big weekend on home ice. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be a big weekend. And then, of course, um, after those couple of losses in Victoria, these uh, two games coming up against the Royals uh, have even that much more meaning. I mean, if if the Royals were to sweep these upcoming games in regulation, I mean, the division's going to be within, uh, you know, a couple of points, really, because Victoria is seven points back right now with a game in hand. Um, I guess, uh, do you have any fears about this um, this series coming up this weekend, about what it could mean in the standings? We have about 30 seconds, John. Yeah, no fears at all about it, but uh, this is a chance for the Blazers to put their foot down, you know, and, and uh, if Victoria has success here, well, well you know, good for them. I, they, they, they've deserved it, but the Blazers have to put their foot down here and, and make a statement. You know, they, they've, had, they've had trouble on the island, but they've played Victoria very hard on home ice over the years. they got a great chance here to, you know, really bury the, the Royals in the standings and, and take a lock on the division. they got to go and do it, though. Uh, Race Ramsey will be in goal and get this weekend, and uh, they have to find a way to uh, put their stamp on it and turn the tables here for sure. Right on, John. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and coming on and giving us a quick recap. Always appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be listening to you here uh, Friday, Saturday, and again on Monday. Thanks so much. Okay, Jeff, have a good week. You as well. That was Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane talking about uh, an 0-3 weekend, a tough weekend for the Blazers here um, just this past uh, couple of days, but they'll look to rebound here, uh, like I said, with a game against Red Deer on Friday and then a real chance to rebound when they host Victoria on Saturday and Monday can really put a nice gap in the standings there with those games. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I would like to thank all my guests for joining me and, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while. Just know I enjoyed her time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.